Hi, my name is Tzemach, and my guest today is Sholem Aleichem. So, without further ado, hello. I just, everybody everybody had enough from my rent, so I just, I'm going to just turn it over to Sholem Aleichem. How are you? All right, okay. Well, I thought that today we would speak about um, Zalman Schneerson, and uh I think it's worth saying a few words about who Reb Zalman was, because I'm not sure all of our listeners even know who Zalman Schneerson was, uh, because both his last name and his first name are pretty common in Lubavitch. So Zalman Schneerson, and uh, you know, you can interrupt me when you think I've left something out. Um, Zalman Schneerson uh, was the son of, of a rabbi in Russia. He was part of the Schneerson dynasty. Uh, and he was descendant of the uh, of the oldest son of the Tzemach Tzedek, who who did not start a rabbinic dynasty. And the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe was also a descendant of the same gentleman, which made Zalman Schneerson a fairly close relative, second cousin or something, of of the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson. And uh, I'm not going to go into details right now, but Zalman attended the Lubavitcher Yeshiva and later on uh, was active in the Lubavitch <clears throat> spiritual resistance in the Soviet Union. Um, he left Russia, what year was that? 35? Okay. And, 35 uh, could be 34. I'm, I'm not sure exactly. Okay. And I think he went to Israel and he was in Israel yeah. for a very short, short period of time. And then he emigrated to France where he became uh, the rabbi of a, a small group of synagogues of Eastern European Jews who were living in France. And um, then, after the Germans uh, occupied most of France and southern France was under Vichy control, Zalman became very active uh, in uh, rescue opportunities in, in, in France of Jewish children and other Jews. And he also, you know, led uh, spiritual resistance, and um, that was a heroic chapter in his life. And uh, then, after the war, he uh, reconstituted the synagogues in Paris and became one of the three or four major rabbis in Paris after the war. And um, then he left the United States, uh, which is probably around 1947-48. I believe he was here for a number of years, went back to France, came back to the United States, and uh, here in America for a while, he lived in Crown Heights, and then he um, he opened up something called the Shevet Yehuda uh, Institute of Technology, which uh, for short was called CIRIT, uh, S-Y-R-I-T, and uh, which uh, had programs for a half day, they were studying uh, Talmud, and a half day they were, uh, you know, studying technology of those days. This was probably around the 19, uh, late 60s and 70s. Um, and uh, I think he passed away in 1979, if my memory is correct. Is, is that right? I'm not sure. I believe it is 79. I believe it, it is 79 or 80. Uh, between 1979 and 1980, he passed away. Uh, and he had two children. Uh, one of them is the late Rabbi Shalom Beer Schneerson, and the other is Hadassah Karbach, who was married to Rabbi Eli Chaim Karbach, who was a uh, twin brother of the uh, singer Shalom Karbach. Okay, so we, that's who Zalma Schneerson was in terms of the uh, facts. So, um, do, you, do you have any questions? Do you want well, to why did off? you? I mean, it, it's it's a complicated question, but why did he leave France? Uh, why did he leave France after yeah. the war? Yes, I mean, um, it, it, it occurred to me that in many ways, Zalman Schneerson was a pioneer. Right. So uh, he was a pioneer, Schlich, before Schlichus was available. He was a shliach in, in France, a shliach in Paris. And um, 
he leave he left maybe he was concerned with education for his kids who knows i don't know exactly i think you know i'm going to guess but i think there are probably two reasons that he left one i i believe by the time he left his position as the head of lubavitch in france and the french colonies in north africa had he he had lost that position and he had been superseded by Rabbi Benjamin Gordetsky. So essentially, um, that part of his uh, occupation was gone. I think. Well, let, let's second, let, let let's let let's speak because it's it's important point. In a way, you right. you you read what what Zalman did in Paris. He was a significant figure and not just significant figure, his heroic figure. He spent so much time with the French Jewry, was going to volunteer to the army uh, during Holocaust, uh, saving uh, kids, did a lot. And some, uh, all of a sudden, uh, somebody comes, a Russian manipulator how should i say it somebody who was a, a a businessman from russia and he is being appointed uh to a position in france which is quite frankly insulting for someone like reb zalman and uh you know i i'd like to mention something uh, reb zalman is obviously adel in the shomer so uh you can see in his writing, he's he's imaginative, creative writer, sensitive writer, meaning he's very much sensitive to other people and to what's around him. And often people of this kind are at certain disadvantage, meaning uh, I don't know what, le- what was... Uh, leading to Gorodetsky appointment, but it, it, it doesn't pass a smell test uh, that proper COVID wasn't given to Reb Zalman in the chain. You know, explain one, explain a little more detail how and what, what this change from Zalman to Binyomin entailed. Well, I mean, the first thing I would I would say is that I recently, uh, a year ago, um, purchased a little pamphlet that Zalman Schneerson had published in France in the late 1940s or in the right after the war. I believe it's in Yiddish, maybe in Hebrew, and it's a it's a uh, call for world Jewry to uh, assist the Jews of Morocco and North Africa in general. In, in terms of their spiritual regeneration, and particularly Zalman is, is calling uh, for the Hasidic community to act and to spread the teachings of Hasidus in uh, North Africa. So it's interesting that uh, Zalman was about the first person to do this, uh, to issue this call. And um, so one wonders whether this may have been that Zalman himself may have been the catalyst for Rabbi Joseph Eichnerson's interest in North Africa. Um, you know, I can't say for sure, but it's conceivable. Who else uh, would have brought North Africa to the attention of Rabbi Joseph Schneerson? Why would Rabbi Joseph Schneerson ask a number of Russian uh, Lubavitchers after 1945 to to move to Morocco and Tunisia. Um, I would bet that Zalman was the person who brought this matter to the attention of uh, Rabbi Joseph Schneerson. So, that, um, so that's number one. Um, so, Zalman, <clears throat> so Zalman was clearly uh, a major league figure in Lubavitch. Um, both in, in Russia and after Russia, and in France. And he was part of the rabbinical family. So for to be replaced by uh, Gordetsky, um, 
I can't, I can, I can't even speculate why Gordetsky replaced uh, uh, Zalman. I have, I have no idea. I mean, um, uh, it's just, it's, it's a very strange thing because Zalman was a person on scene. He apparently was very sensitive to the needs of North African Jews. Uh, himself being a French rabbi, he clearly understood the needs of post-World War II French Jewry because he had never left. And he also was sensitive to the needs of the Eastern European uh, refugees, not only Lubavitchers, but others who were using France as a staging post on their way to Israel or the United States or elsewhere. So he, he was a unique personality in that, that he, unlike other rabbis who came to France straight from DP camps or from Russia, he actually had been in France before the war and was a, uh, if I can use the word, a pulpit rabbi in France and an activist. And uh, clearly the pamphlet I have indicates that he was sensitive to the needs of North African Jewry. And uh, so I don't understand why um, Gordetsky replaced... Um, well, it, it has Rabbi a smell of, of the palace coup. Uh, palace coup and, and uh, uh, you know, w- w- when this kind of intrigue happens, uh, suspicion to the grand, ma- ma- uh, to the grand ma- machinator of... Uh, <laughs> Which is Ramash, you know. Well, you know. You know uh, hey, hey, listen, listen. Because, you know, obviously, quote unquote, Rayats did it. But uh, Rayats was, you know, wasn't himself in the last years of his life. Especially, you can imagine, if it has to do with France, he will defer to Ramash or at least consult him. And right. uh, it, it's, it's, it's believable that uh, Rayats was manipulated by Ramash. If, if Ramash had some a personal vendetta against Reb Zalman, uh, that, that's w- what we will do. Well, the question is, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Uh, in terms of uh, the Ramash's relationship with uh, Reb Zalman Schneerson. I mean, just so our listeners know, um, the Ramash and Zalman, certainly since around 1950, uh, did not get along. And uh, the Ramash shut Reb Zalman out of anything Lubavitch, at least from 1950 on, at the very least. So the question is, why? Why was... Um, Zalman shut out of Lubavitch, and why did the Ramash shut him out from 1950 or 51 on? And that that's, you know, if people out there are wondering what's the evidence for that, well, you know, here was Zalman Schneerson, who was a rabbi in France, and a, and a, uh, and a uh, shliach of the Rebbe, if you can use the term, in the Soviet Union, an activist in the Soviet Union, um, and uh, he comes to the United States, and he's unable to procure a position in the large Lubavitch movement in America. And even in 1951, Lubavitch had yeshivas in Montreal, in New York, in Morristown, in the Bronx, various yeshivas in New England, day schools, et cetera, et cetera. And it just seems that the the Ramash could not find a place for Zalman uh, in any of these places, even as a, uh, I don't know what, even as a minor, administrator or a minor teacher, a high school teacher, something or another. And furthermore, this this uh, went on with uh, Zalman's son. Zalman's son, Sean Beer, uh, worked in the PO for a while, and I think he was a sheikhid. Uh, but he too could never procure a position in the vast Lubavitch empire. And uh, for some reason or another, Eli Chaim Karbach left Lubavitch, basically, when Ramash became Rebbe. So there was bad blood between Zalman Schneerson and the Rebbe. The question is why, and the question is which came first, the, uh, the chicken or the egg? I mean, you know, uh, was Zalman uh, ousted from Paris because he had fights with the Ramash 
or did he have a fight with the Ramash because he was ousted? So, you know, I don't have any documentary evidence for for anything like to to prove any point there. It's just, but it's clear that Zalman, after a certain point, uh, no longer uh, was part of was was really no longer part of Lubavitch for all for all practical purposes. Um, no, just just, just let. let just let, let me put it in perspective. Out of all Schneersons, out of all thousands of Schneersons, the two only from survivors. For all intensity, if if you don't if you don't count the Chibinerov, who who is a, a Palish, it's only two from Lubavitches, close cousins, relatives. The only two from Schneersons that stayed from in the last century, and, and and you have this kind of animosity. And on one hand, it's it's kind of natural because a closeness leads to animosity. On the other hand, it's perplexing, especially Ramash in his position of power couldn't raise himself. Uh, to the level of uh, generosity that precludes a personal vendetta, and and I I, I should say so. If 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 you look at uh, behavior of Zalman Schneerson in the war, the person is hero. Not only that, but all those years in part in part in Paris, where he worked for the community day and night. Why while Ramash was was off to universities and didn't have any active role in the in the community in France. And and to pick this man, and to pick take somebody else like who is who is Benjamin Garadetsky? He's a businessman. He's a high level businessman, or at least uh, the way he, he considers so in Russia, because in Russia. High-level businessman means uh, devious things, and here is is this 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 man is appointed to France in order to out to out the uh, a legitimate person who was here who was a, a pioneering raw a hero, been there for decades. So how, how do you explain that? Uh, you know, I I can only conjecture. Um, first of all, we don't really know how, why um, he was replaced, and we don't know if Rabbi Menachem Schneerson was involved in it. It has some of the footmarks of Rabbi Menachem Schneerson, because as you said, Nariat uh, certainly would listen to him about France. There's no question about it. So it has some of his uh, fingerprints. Uh, but you know, I don't have, uh, or no one has any evidence for that. I, 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 you know, I still don't know what the cause of the animosity between the Lubavitcher Rebbe and Zalman Schneerson was. On one hand, I have sometimes I think perhaps Zalman was too close to the scene of the crime. He was a rabbi in Paris, and Rabbi Nachman Schneerson was in Paris. Maybe Zalman knew stuff about the Rebbe's behavior in Paris that uh, the Rebbe felt very uh, defensive about. It's quite possible that Zalman knew that the Rebbe was not really behaving like a chassid in Paris. I mean, uh, and the Rebbe, you know, when in 1949, 1950, uh, the Rebbe felt that, hey, I got to get this guy out of here. I mean, he knows too much. He knows too much. Uh, it's possible. I'm not saying I have any facts to... Uh, Believe that, but uh, the Rebbe once even had a sicha where he attacked Zalman Schneerson, of course, not by name. The Rebbe never attacked anyone by name, but everyone knew what he was talking about when he criticized Zalman Schneerson for calling himself Grand Rabbin, which, you know, is a common title in France for a rabbi who uh, has a large synagogue or uh, a number of synagogues. And Zalman clearly had the right to call himself Grand Rabbin. Um, you know, and uh, so the Rebbe went into a heated uh, criticism of Zalman. Um, I don't know. You know, um, 
maybe maybe it is uh you know maybe the Rebbe and Zalman's uh, relationships cooled off or cooled off as a uh understatement uh when Zalman apparently uh was offering himself to become the next Lubavitcher Rebbe in 1950. I don't know. Uh, you know, uh, I did ask uh, Barry Garari about Zalman Schneerson, and and, Zal, and Barry told me, you know, uh, a few enigmatic words. On one hand, he said that Zalman uh, Schneerson was a, uh, I think he called it the term a fart which is a compliment, that he was a rabbi of the old school. And uh, and the other hand, he did admit to me that his father, Rabbi Shmariagari of Rashad, had differences with Salman Schneerson over policy. I don't know what those differences were, uh, but apparently that there were differences there. So I don't know if it's um, if if it, if the problems between Zalman and Chabad headquarters in 770 had anything to do with the Ramash. Or they may have just been policy differences that uh, the Rayats and uh, Rashag uh, felt that someone, uh, as you say, someone more of a businessman would be better in the slot than than Zalma Schneerson. You know, I don't know, but certainly, um, certainly after the Rebbe became Rebbe, it's clear that he shut Salman out of any role on Lubavitch. And uh, I'm not even talking about a policy-making role. I'm just talking about, uh, you know, even as a job. Zalman, I think, was working upstate as a showcase in upstate New York or as a mashpia for a while. Uh, he really had to work hard for his parnasa, as they say. And uh, whereas Lubavitch already then had a infrastructure with many different uh, positions. And Zalman, apparently, to the best of my knowledge, was never offered such a job, and neither was his son. And both his son and his son-in-law uh, headed out to Bobov. I mean, I talked to the late uh, Rabbi Goldberger, who was the Russian call of Bobov, and the son-in-law of uh, um, the Bobov Rebbe, Rabbi Shalina Havashlam, and Rabbi Goldberger assured me that uh, Shalom Bershnerson was a chassid min hashura, which means a uh, well-established chassid of Bobov. And that he attended most regularly the Baba Varebis uh Malkas, et cetera, et cetera. And I believe that uh Elikhaim too was uh had sort of switched his allegiance. Yes, uh their children, uh the third generation uh retained their Lubavitch allegiance. That's true. But I don't know. I don't know what caused all this bad blood, but there seemed to be extremely bad blood. Uh, we obviously going blind here because members of his family who know firsthand, they wouldn't speak. Maybe Hadassah, maybe she, she goes uh, to different conferences, but it's a, it's a different format. You, know, you, 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 you wouldn't mm-hmm. hear much from the family because family mm-hmm. has, has joined up with Lubavitch and that is a home and social fabric, so you you wouldn't hear much from them. No, obviously, they're they're part of what you call the social fabric. You know, this is, as I mentioned uh, in some other contexts, that uh, in the firm world, the the ultimate goal are shidduchim. That's the ultimate goal. And if you're uh, independent, non-affiliated, so to speak, it's difficult to do a shift these days in the last 30 or 40 years. You have to be, uh, you, have, you have to have an address, be it Lakewood, be it Lubavitch, Saltmar, uh, a Spartic Jew. You need an address just to roam around and to say, I'm a religious Jew, doesn't do it anymore in the uh, resurrected Orthodox world in the United States. It just doesn't do it. So the children of the third generation in Zalashnerson have all. Um, have all, uh, you know, mainstreamed themselves. Um, so has Hadassah Karlbach, for that matter. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure her husband, I never spoke to her husband, but I'm sure her husband was not like that, although I don't recall any public criticism he gave. Shalom Bershnerson clearly was not part of the movement. He may have attended once in a blue moon of Fabrengen, but, uh, you know, he clearly had uh, left 
and uh, joined uh, Bobo. But like, you know, many people, uh, you know, he is a Schneerson and he was apparently very, uh, very well uh, attuned to, excuse the pun, to Lubavitcher tunes and he liked singing. So he was still, you know, he showed up at certain Lubavitcher functions, but he hardly was what they call Lubavitcher Makusher to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, hardly. Um, you know, to me, it, it, it's, to me, you know, uh, I'm going to get off on a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's important because I think we've established certain facts, but I think these facts only are highlighted when uh, we, we, we uh, extend our coverage. And that is that the Rebbe, for whatever reason, and I've said this before, he never forgot and he never forgave anyone. You know, and Solomon at some point obviously crossed the Rebbe. Um, you know, I don't know, was it in the 1930s? You know, more and more I think about it. You know, uh, maybe Solomon saw what was going on with the Rebbe in Paris. Uh, and uh, maybe Solomon even wrote letters to, to his father-in-law saying, you know, uh, hey, your son-in-law here is... Uh, you know, he's spending his time in college. He's not behaving like a husband. I don't know. Uh, it's possible. It's possible that it stems from there. Then it's possible that it stems from after the war, that um, Zalman uh, thought of himself as being more appropriate to be the Rebbe. You know, of course, you know, I'm not going to change my mind. I, I don't see why he thought so, because, I mean, there are other candidates, uh, Gerari, Gerari's son. Uh, but whatever. But the Rebbe never, never, for, never forgot, and he never forgave. So he he did not care for Zalman Schneerson. And all the years that Kfar Chabad magazine uh, was published from around 1981 or something, till uh, you know, I, I must admit it still is published until I stopped reading it, which is around 1996. Zalman Schneerson's name was never mentioned in Kvar Chabad magazine. Um, Zalman Schneerson became, you know this better than I do, um, he became a non-person. I don't know what they called it in Russia. He became a non-person in Chabad history. He didn't exist. Zalman Schneerson no longer existed. He, here, everything you said is correct. He was one of only a few Schneerson, male Schneerson descendants who remained religious and remained Lubavitch, and he was written out of the movement, essentially. The Rebbe even gave a sicha, I don't know if I heard it, or if, uh, saying that his, uh, on the York site of his father, Reb Levick, that, uh, Reb, that his father, after the Ryats left Russia, that his father, Reb Levick, was the only Schneerson in Russia active in spiritual resistance against communism. Well, that's just not true, and I'm not taking it away from Reb Levick. But Reb Zalman was in Russia until 35, and Reb Zalman was active in the spiritual resistance in, in Russia. And there may have been a few other people as well who were relatives of Reb Zalman Schneerson, who too were active on a lesser scale, but Reb Zalman was active on a wide-ranging scale in the spiritual resistance. But the Rebbe, you know, predictably enough, forgot about Zalman, or uh, diplomatically forgot about him. Um, so, said, and, certainly in France, uh, was... The opposite picture, you know, uh, Ramash, especially during Holocaust, he, he, he went into hiding, went into, uh, disappeared from the country. Why uh, yeah, well, Reb Zalman was, was doing heroic work? You know, it's interesting. And, um, you know, I'm not going to talk about the extended subject now because this is worthy of an extended uh, academic paper. I'm not going to write it for many reasons. Uh, but, you know, and that is the role of the rabbis during World War II. And many famous rabbis, rather than the captain of the ship being the last person to leave, they were the first person to leave. <laughs> I'm not, not going to go into it because a lot of people will then have contracts out for my head. And, uh, you know, whatever God has given for me, I still want to live. But, you know, that's just a fact that there were more than a few important rabbis who took the first uh, ship out of their country, leaving their their Jews uh, 
spiritually. Uh, but but the rebbe, but the, the, you see, the rebbe wasn't in that category. He wasn't a no, rabbi. He was, he was a student. Man, he was a student who who managed to right. to go to uni university in Berlin and the university, and then in France, and haven't worked one one but day in his life. Right, he was a student. You're correct, but um, within six, within ten years of this, he now became something called a Rebbe, the Rosh B'nai Israel, and he was sitting and screaming at everyone in Crown Heights in those years when uh, to go on Shlichus, and the and the initial response of Shlichus was very cold. I mean, a lot of the older Lubavitchers in Russia did not want their children to go off to Minnesota or to uh, California. They, they didn't want that. And yet the rebel was saying, no, we have to go on Sirius Nefesh. We have to go to California. We have to go to Morocco. And yet he himself in 1940-41, nothing. He didn't take any. Forget about leadership. He wasn't active in the underground. There was a widespread underground, both Jewish and non-Jewish, which, you know, Salman was part of. There were other rabbis. Rene Herschler, who was killed, Al-Kiddush Hashem, was, was active in this. He was a chaplain in the French army as well. And there were still other rabbis who were, who were killed. And were they great um, leaders? No, they were rabbis. They were people, but they took an active part. The Rebbe, too. He was screaming 10 years later why people don't go and he kept on screaming about this till his death, that people need to go on the Sirius Nefesh. You can't sit in, in Crown Heights. You've got to go off to uh, Texas. You've got to go off to South America. Well, he, he did not necessarily show the best uh, example himself uh, in his civilian life. In his civilian life, uh, let's say 19, what is it, 40 to 1945, you know, he got on a boat to the United States. Yeah, uh, listen. And but if if you look later, there's certain policy that had Schlich is not to be replaced, right? We we, we learned it in America. Even the head Schlich is uh, ineffective, or he doesn't do much. I mean, here right. in Massachusetts, you know, you you have Chaim Proust, the the biggest accomplishments of Chaim Proust is that he wanted to be head of the pot dispensary. You know, uh, <laughs> still, still, uh, still had Shlich. As opposed to Zalman, who is a heroic figure, did, did a lot for the French jury as evidenced from his letters. Right. So we're getting a little off the subject in the sense that Rabbi Menachem Schneerson was a rabbi. He was the son-in-law of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Uh, yet, when it came to be active in the underground, he was nowhere to be found. And, you know, let's, let's be honest, he, he unfortunately had no children, uh, but yet he was determined to get out of France. He was determined not to be part of the resistance, not to be part of uh, let's say, the rebuilding of French Jewry that Zalman was, and other rabbis were as well. I mean, uh, Rabbi Rubenstein, uh, there were other rabbis who were in France, and they were determined to rebuild French Jewry. The Lubavitcher Rebbe just got on a boat and, uh, you know, made sure to get out of France. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a civilian getting the first uh, tickets out of a place of danger. But when you're a leader and you propose to be a leader, so maybe what I'm saying is the Rebbe in 1950, 51 should not have proposed himself as a leader because his track record was negligible as a leader. He did not show any leadership in France between 1941 and 1945. Uh, so now the Lubavitcher word is that he was a, he was a, uh, simple, introverted person, as they say in Hebrew, like they say, uh, well, okay, that's an excuse. That's an excuse. The Lubavitcher Rebbe himself, he's the first person who talked about not being this. He, he attacked the Lubavitcher Hasidim in Tel Aviv, the Zikne Anash there, Gerari and Karasik, others, for sleeping till 11 o'clock and sitting around and talking about Hasidus. He said, no, you guys have got to get up and go out 
and ufton. That's what he demanded. Ufton, a tractor, a tractorist, a bitsuist. So wait a second. Is this man a bitsuist? Is the Rebbe a bitsuist? Is he someone who can, did he accomplish anything between 1941 and 1945? Did he show leadership in France? I don't know. If he did, I'd love to hear about it. I mean, uh, you know, I don't claim I know everything, by the way. You know, if the Rebbe showed leadership in France, um, and resistance and any sort of resistance, spiritual or Zalman was more than just spiritual resistance. Zalman, I think, was even armed resistance and physical resistance. Um, I don't know. I don't see it. I didn't see the, you know, I don't see. So Rebbe was a big talker. You know, Yankel uh, Rosenbaum was killed and Crown Heights was up in flames. How did we get to uh, Yankel Rosenbaum? <laughs> no, no, it's it's important. It's important. Yankel Rosenbaum was killed. Kronheitz was in flames, so to speak, figuratively. Rebbe was nowhere to be seen. The leader. Yeah, listen, listen. The, 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 there is, there is, there's, there's one thing about the Rebbe, which which nobody wants to mention. He liked to uh, fight the fights if he was sure. That there wouldn't be any damage to it. If if the if the fight required sacrifice, uh, he was nowhere to be found. Like for example, uh, uh, he, all his policy initiative, grand policy initiative, when it was threatened, like Miho Yehudi, he he just folded tent and and closed the shop. He ran. The same as he ran from from Europe, when when real when he faced a real challenge that hit the <laughs> the bottom line, he wouldn't persevere. He he fold. Only only he became vindictive, where he was like a bully. He was uh, fighting people who who knew were outnumbered. I, I I agree with you, but I'll add something, and I really believe what I'm going to say. You know, the Rebbe took a halachic terminology in the Gemara, shlucho adam kamoso, that a uh, shliach, uh, emissary of person, is as the same person. And that's a halachic terminology. And he superimposed it on daily life. So, you know what? The Chavetz Chaim was close to 90 years old when he went to Warsaw to meet the, the, the um, prime minister of Poland. He didn't send his Rashi Shiva, Rabbi uh, um, uh, Londinsky, he didn't send the son. He went himself. And this is true in, men. in Israel when they came to meet uh, Ben-Gurion, three Rabbi Pesach Tzvi Frank, Rabbi Yisrael Meltzer, went themselves to meet Ben-Gurion. They didn't, Pesach Tzvi Frank didn't send his son. And Rabbi Yisrael Meltzer didn't call for someone from America to come. The Rebbe was a big talker. Excuse me for saying this. He was a big talker, but he himself did nothing. And he justified it all on this halakhic terminology, on this sleight of hand called shlucho odom kamoso. You know, it is, and you know, in this shlucho odom kamoso, the Rebbe took it to an extremes. When Mrs. Schneerson was gravely ill and she needed to go to the hospital, the Rebbe didn't join the car to take her to the hospital, he sends Zalman Barari, because after all, Shlucho Adam Kamoso, an emissary of yourself, is as yourself. So at that trip, which she died in the hospital, she died several hours later, the, the Rebbe didn't go with his wife. Excuse me, I have to ask apologies to the Hasidim for what I'm saying, but he didn't go because the Rebbe became, was brainwashed by his own rhetoric, Shlucho Adam Kamoso. You know what? Shlucho Adam Kamoso. Yeah, right. You know, if there's a danger to Klal Yisrael, you get up and do it yourself. And that's what I was about to say about Yankel Rosenbaum. Yankel Rosenbaum was killed. Kronheitz was in a serious threat by uh, whoever it was who was threatening them. I'm not going to go into politics. The mayor was not doing his job. The Rebbe was nowhere to be seen. He was nowhere to be seen. And for various reasons that I'm not going to discuss right now, the Lubavitcher Rebbe's uh, point man for PR could not respond to this. And so various people came up to, to the plate. One of them was uh, Rabbi Shmuel Menachem Mendel Goodman, happens to be a, ne a nephew of Zalman Schneerson, but that's 
irrelevant. Um, but the Rebbe himself was nowhere to be seen till Cronheights was in danger. The community was in danger. People were injured. One man was killed. And he was nowhere to be seen. He was behind the Venetian blinds in his office, not because he took this idea of shlucho odom kemoso, which is a halachic terminology. It's, it wasn't meant as an excuse for, for, for not to do anything. You know, the Rebbe never went to be mevaker chola people. It's a big mitzvah. I don't, I mean, you know, they don't need a it's like me to say it's a big mitzvah. The Rebbe hardly ever went to funerals. It's another big mitzvah. Shlucho Adam Kamoso. He sent an emissary. Reb Mesha died. Reb Moshe Feinstein passed away. He sent the Rashag as his emissary. Why? The Rebbe couldn't go himself? Every other important rabbi was there. What happened? Shlucho Adam Kamoso. You know what? The Shlucho Adam Kamoso is another one of these things that put Lubavitch away. You don't have to do any mitzvahs. You don't have to go to hospital. You don't have to be Michal Mavelim. You know, only in the early days of his Messias did he still go for a few Michal Mavelims, you know, uh, to, to Satma Rebbe, I believe, maybe to the Bavavir, I don't know. But very, very but certainly after 1954, 55, rarely. And, and, you know, so I don't know. I mean, so he was a big talker. And the same thing is true with France. So he, in France, did he show leadership? Even as a civilian, after all, he was it was over forty years old in those days. So you know, forty years old. What you have to be Moshe Rabbeinu to be a leader? You know, Nachshon ben Aminadav jumped into the Yamsuf. He wasn't Moshe Rabbeinu. He's Nachshon ben Aminadav. And you know, the Rebbe also was in the same category of Nachshon ben Aminadav. He was a son-in-law of what he calls the Masido Reinu. He was a Schneerson. He was an Anikol the Alta Rebbe. So where was he? Nowhere to be seen as a leader. Uh, you know, what they what they do tell you in between the period of 41 and 44, what, or when he left, I don't know, 42, is that he that he sent his wife miles and miles to get a bottle of Hall of Yisrael. Ah, there's a problem, Isis. You know, Osi uh, Ozru, as they say, you know, forget about the Hall of Yisrael. There were Jewish lives at stake. Jewish children were separated from their parents. Jewish children uh, um, later on had to be rescued from monasteries. Uh, there's a lot of work to be done there. And, you know, I, I mean, I'm confusing two different issues post-1944 uh, and before it's true. But, you know, he, so he, in America, he was busy sending, you go here, you go to Michigan, you go to Canada, you go to Calgary. But he himself didn't go anywhere. He couldn't even go to the White House to meet the president and say, hey, stop pressuring Israel to give back territory. Yes, you're screaming this one. If this man was a, well, what are you screaming about? Get off the high, the high horse and go down to Washington. Talk to whoever's president. You're an impressive looking person. You've got a nice long beard. You look good. You talk good. Tell them what you think. They would be impressed. I, and I have just for the Lumana Amos, you know, what I'm saying here is not my Torah. And people are going to laugh at me. It's the Torah of my mother. My mother was a, is a Lithuanian Jewess, and she, she remembers the Chavetz Chaim got up and went to, went to Warsaw. There's an Alta Yid, come out, Nainzik, you're out. And he himself went to Warsaw to meet with, uh, what is his name, Mashitsky, the prime minister of Poland, to, 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 to do away with certain gazeros against the Jewish religion. He didn't send, who did he send? The, the head of the body, Shivas, Yosef Shub, all of a sudden, no, he went himself. And you know what? Other people did the same thing. Other people did the same thing. And, but not the Rebbe. The Rebbe never did it, never went off his high horse. It never left 770, basically. And so that's why I'm raising the issue of now you can compare the Rebbe with Zalman Schneerson. I'm not an expert about Zalman Schneerson's activities in France, but I know enough from looking at books about the life of French Jewry during the war to see his name, you know, and it's usually spelled C-H, you know, as mm -hmm. I guess it's pronounced. Yes. Uh, 
So many indexes that I was looking when I was younger, I didn't find them because I looked under SH. But you start looking under CH. Secondly, I have looked at many books, and there have been more than a few books in English written about East European Jewish life in France before World War II. The Pletzel, um, there were four or five Yiddish dailies in France. There are lots of Eastern European Jews uh, in France. And several of them have um, uh, notations, of, not so much about religious life, but about intellectual life. And the, the, the people who write them or the people who mention them mentioned that they, they did go to lectures uh, about Hasidic Jewish thought. And who, are the pe- who was the person giving these lectures? Zalman Schneerson, not Menachem Schneerson. Zalman Schachter, Shulam Zalman Schachter, uh, who we all know, uh, himself in his uh, little article, which is, uh, to me it's a seminal article, uh, How to Become a Modern Husband, his first contact with uh, Lubavitch was through Zalman Schneerson, not through Menachem Schneerson. Zalman Schneerson introduced them to Menachem Schneerson. Okay, let's let let's face it. You you we we're the only two who are talking about this. Nobody else is interested in this. Nobody, well, hey, you know, nobody else is interested in Ramash anymore. He's just like okay. became a, he's a he's a the, he's a Christian like figure. You know, the attachment to religion. Well, you know, it reminds me well, especially about young, young people. Young people. I mean. I meet people who lived there d- during during Rashag time. They have no idea who Rashag went to Lubavitch Yeshiva. You know, have no idea who Rashag. Listen, you know the young people of Lubavitch today. If I'm to go according to all the websites, and they have, uh, uh, you know, Lamai, uh, you know, uh, there's so many websites they have. They're interested in new music, in cutting edge food. In rap music, uh, you know, think they're interested in Gashmis. The Hasidists that talks about Bittel Hayesh and Bittel, they are the Hasidists that is most interested in Gashmis, although I'll add with the same breath that it, they're not the only Hasidists that's interested in Gashmis. But Lubavitch always claimed that they're into Bittel and to Skafia, Skafia. You know, come on, these people, if you, you know, Kronheitz is a cutting-edge foodie, F-O-O-D-I-E, foodie area of kosher. It's, so far, it's still kosher. Lubavitchers are into, they don't need kugel, they don't need uh, uh, cholent. They have, they need the, the cutting-edge food. Same thing with music. The same thing with the internet. Ah, what do I need uh, what the, uh, you know, 100 years ago? I, I'm, we're on the internet. We're cutting-edge, you know. We need the capotas that are, have the Superman uh, colors inside. That's what we need. We're, so <laughs> why are they going to be? Why are they going to be interested in Zalman Schneerson? Why do they care about the Rashad? Why do they care about any, And you know what? Why I, do they care I about Rebbe? You know, start start there. Mm-hmm. About who? About Rebbe. Start there. They don't. Well, I was just going to say I'm going to admit this today. I'm the Ada. I have never read Crime and Punishment. I have never read it. Okay, just so people don't call me a phony and a name dropper. <laughs> I have never read Crime and Punishment. But Dostoevsky did write a coda to Crime and Punishment, which I did read, which is around 30 or 40 pages. And in that coda, the um, Archbishop Cardinal of, I believe it's Barcelona, is sitting in the study and also uh, Ish, JC comes in and introduces himself. And no, says, I think you know, I'm his here to... Maybe I, it I is. I might be mistaken. The... Okay, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I thought it was crime punishment. The because I, I do own... from Brothers Karamazov. Okay, I do own the coda. I own the, the, it's printed separately, but you may be right uh, because I did make that preface that I never read it. Uh, I read the coda, but I never read the, uh, the works and I've never read anything by Dostoevsky. Maybe in college, uh, I had to read some excerpts. I don't remember. Um, but the, the, the JC introduces himself and the archbishop tells him to get lost. Get the hell out of here. I don't want you. I don't want to be redeemed. Look at my palace. Look at all the gold. I don't want you. Look at my power. Who needs you? Who needs you with your bare feet, 
with your half-naked body. I don't need you. Get lost. And you know what? If the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Lahavdil, I'll say Lahavdil, Lahavdil, Lubavitcher Rebbe, Nachman showed up in Kronheitz tomorrow, in actuality, not in the figment of some idiot's imagination, but in actuality, Nachman Schneerson came in and said, you know what? Most of the Chassidim were telling Rebbe, Sight is a good and take the first train out of here. We don't need you. What we need are every day a new Lubavitcher is a, is a hit singer. Every day a new Lubavitcher opens up a new restaurant. Every day a new Lubavitcher goes on shlichus in a place where there are five Jews. Every day a new Lubavitcher uh, does this and that. You know, they don't need it. What do they need? Hasidus. It's all a joke. It, it's just a joke. For this gen, as I, I will say this, and people are going to get angry, and I don't care if anyone gets angry at me because, but you know what? And I'm not such a fanatic. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a fanatic. Uh, I'm, as a matter of fact, I'm a, a sort of, I would call myself a very left wing modern Orthodox Jew, um, although people will disagree. Um, Lubavitch today to Orthodox Judaism is what the Haskola was to Orthodox Judaism in 1860 in Russia. Lubavitch is a vehicle for modernity. It's a, it's the vehicle. It shows the way for other Hasidim and other Orthodox Jews to leave Orthodoxy and become modern. It is the, the main danger, in my opinion, to the future of Orthodox Judaism. Because Lubavitch is a movement that's on the way out. The young people are on their way out. This didn't happen overnight in, in Russia too and in Poland. It took 60 years from 1830s until World War One, It took 60 years for the modernity to really take over Polish slash Russian Jewry. And you know what? Lubavitch is on the road. They're on the road because they're showing the way to do this. And the way to do it is not getting up saying there is no God or getting up and saying you don't have to observe the Torah. No, no, no. The way to do it is what's going on in Lubavitch today. You know, modernity. It's more than creeping in. And um, it is, the, my opinion, the main vehicle towards all of Orthodox Jews becoming modern, except for one group. The one group that is, that is immune to Lubavitch is the yeshiva world. They're immune to Lubavitch. It's not that some of them won't become modern, but they're immune to Lubavitch because they, they are the only group that really has rejected them, more or less. Uh, modern Orthodoxy has not uh, rejected them. Modern Orthodoxy is, is under attack by... Uh, by uh, by by Lubavitch. I mean, what about Rabbi Weinberg. I, I can I, I think other are under, under attack by Lubavitch too. Lubavitch, you know, in 1970, the only Hasidic group that had pictures of their leader was Lubavitch. By now, 50 years later, every Hasidic group is into hero worship, um, and there are a lot of things the same. Lubavitch has shown the way for other Hasidic groups how to become modern and you know, they. This is a movement that's. You know, I, if I were really uh, fanatic, and I'm not, I would be very worried about about. Well, uh, the Satmar is a generation behind. Pardon? Satmar is a generation behind this. Well, they're, Satmar they're, they're is lagging. Also, you know, they they are lagging, but but Satmar is also. Listen, Lubavitch has, has affected everyone. They, they've shown, you know, you can be a chassid and you can dress in jeans. You can be a chassid and you can uh, uh, be part of the world. And it's affected everyone. I'm not saying they're the only people who are doing it, but they're the only chassidists that as a group is into this stuff. They're into this stuff. I mean, uh, you know, the, the, you know, and if it wasn't for a few rabbis, um, the what's it called? The voice of what were they called? This group, this guy from Australia who came and started encounter sessions in Crown Heights. Divorce, the voice of Jacob or something. Uh, it wasn't very well publicized. The Jewish Week did have an article about this. This guy was single-handedly was not a nefarious person, but single-handedly got some of the most uh, important Lubavitcher teachers in Crown Heights interested in what he was doing. Why? Because. Hasidus is meaningless today. It's meaningless. And I say this with the greatest respect to, to the person I'm named after. And to the, to, um, I say it with the greatest respect, but, you know, you know, it's no longer meaningful. It may be meaningful to someone who's married and has children and understands human psychology. 
and it's not meaningful to most people. It's based on on uh, you know medieval philosophy and Kabbalah. This is not today. You know, I, I'm going on a tangent. I realize this on my own little spiels, but this is why when this guy came to Crown Heights, I forgot his name, but you know I can find it, uh, and started talking about human relations, about interaction between husband and wife, and about people and love. And he, he found a receptive audience because these are all things that Hasidus doesn't directly talk about. You know, what Hasidus talks about what I call science fiction. They talk about what's up there in the stars and in the heaven. You know what? We need to be more concerned what's down here about people, about about the tsaras that people have, about about you know human issues, and you know uh, that's why I, I you know I I don't care. I'm not going to tell them what to do. I'm not part of their community, um, and uh, we've gotten I've gotten off on a tangent. I realize that, but yeah, um, you know, the, the, Zalman the, the, Zalman yes. is a symptom of what was wrong in Lubavitch. A man who was a Schneerson, a man who showed tremendous leadership capacity, had no, could not get a role in the movement which became a dictatorship. Uh, as Barry Garari told me, and I'm probably repeating, as I say, Malagera, Malagering over and over again. But Barry Garari told me he remembers meetings of the so-called cabinet of the of his grandfather in Otvotsk and in Warsaw. The cabinet was uh, the Rebbe, Rashad, um, you know, the old man Hornstein, Rebbe Meshachayin, um, what was the Rebbe Huda Ever, or Chaim Lieberman, maybe someone else, maybe I'm missing Nazi Fagan, right? Uh, right. And these meetings, he said, were stormy meetings. They weren't just meetings where everyone raised their hand, like in the Presidium, Lahavdil, under Stalin. No, they were stormy meetings. His grandfather would say one thing, and Chatsi Fagan or Yehuda Ever would say, no, this may not be the right way to go about it. You know, and these were stormy meetings, and people were allowed to express their opinion. Now, I can't tell you whether who won these meetings, did the Varyats adopt the policy, but if he was willing to listen, it must have meant that they had some effect on him. But under the Rebbe, no such thing existed. Not in all the years that that uh, the Rebbe was Rebbe, 40, uh, I don't know, was he active from 51 till uh, 92? And all the years, he never once at a Fabrangan passed the microphone to his brother-in-law and said, uh, um, Sertzev, uh, Rashag, uh, Rashag Sertzev, um, you know, say this, say it, this, uh, so I'll get this, you know, re- remind us what went on in uh, in, uh, in, uh, in those heady days when the rebel was arrested in in Leningrad. You know, no, you know, the, the, you know, he never said. They never passed the microphone to the Rashad. Never. He couldn't. He could. You know, and he abolished the uh, he abolished Shalshus because why? The Rashad had a chazaka from the Rayats to 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 lead Shalshus. He had the, the Rebbe had the chazaka for. Um, Shams Mivarchum, and the Rayat and the Rishonik had the Chazaka. So the Rebbe abolished Shalshus. I mean, it's not in the Shulchan Aruch. So he abolished it, and and the Rebbe ran circles around the Rishonik. And uh, we we well go, go, going about... going back to Vendetta. You, you know, there's the, the something was like seriously wrong with this man. You take uh, the closest family and the people who are, and you just uh, run Vendetta. Against them, it's very unsettling. Well, you know, mm-hmm. very unsettling is because the the image that this man has and the reality is very different. Yeah, well, obviously. Yeah, and uh, I'm a book collector. Uh, you know, I collect books, and just like the previous Lubavitcher, and I'm not comparing myself to the previous Lubavitcher. I'm just saying he was a book collector too, and I am too. And just like the previous Rebbe collected books dealing with communism, seemed to have a lot of them. I too collect books dealing with communism, and I have no interest in communism. Nothing, absolutely, I have no sympathy for it. Um, 
But I collect Yiddish books <laughs> that were printed in Russia, but that have uh, that you know were printed by Jewish communists, and and some of them are about Stalin. And some of these books have pictures of Stalin in a garden playing with little children, of Stalin throwing the ball, of Stalin being so-called being a human being. Well, was he a human being? I won't even bother answering that question. Lahavdil, Lahavdil, I'm not accusing the Rebbe of being Stalin, so before you get, people get Why angry not? with me. Well, because I don't think he killed anyone, so, <laughs> you know, but, but I will say this, that he, the image of... Certainly, the, really, the, cult of, the cult of personality, the destructive yeah. cult of personality, it's an aspect that could be comparable. Well, you know, I, that much I'm not sure, but uh, it's, you know, listen, his, what he was and who the movement proclaimed who he was in propaganda were completely different issues. For example, um, Eli Chaim Karbach told a friend of mine, uh, I, you know, who's a Rebbe in the Flatbush, um, who's now in Israel, he told him, he was an old man by now, the person I'm talking about is 90, probably over 90. Uh, he told him the Rebbe is Nikavan Kin Mishpacha Mensch. The Rebbe isn't a family man. And he and who did this man hear it from? Uh, he heard it from Bar Shemishnirsen. You know, uh, Bar Shemishnirsen told him the Rebbe was not a family man. The Rebbe, you know, who was Bar Shemishnirsen? The Chibiner, the Chibiner. Oh, okay. uh, the Rebbe was not interested oh, in family. How would Chibiner know? Well, you know, he was a close relative of the Rebbe, you know, believe it or not. He was, the, he was closer to Mrs. Schneerson. He was the second cousin of Mrs. Schneerson. And, uh, you know, when the Chibiner came to see the Rebbe, which he did from time to time, he had to wait out there in the Ganeri Natachten, just like anyone else. I mean, he wasn't given any favoritism. Um, and, uh, you know, there are all these baloney stories that Lubavitch, that some Lubavitchers who had a who sort of understood that there was something wrong. They concocted stories that the Rebbe wanted one of the Shpiner's children to become his successor and this and that. This is all baloney. You know, the person I spoke to was a cousin of the Shpiner, Rosh Hashim, and he told me this is all baloney. You know, you know uh, neither the Shpiner nor the Lubavitcher Rebbe had any interest in what these people are talking about. You know, the Shpiner wouldn't want his children and grandchildren to uh, join Lubavitch because, you know, most from people understood that Lubavitch was a vehicle towards modernity, and they didn't want to be part of it. You know, it's a vehicle towards modernity, and now more so than it was 30 years ago. Now it's definitely, a, a, you know, it, someone told me like 25 years ago, or I think it was on your blog, actually, someone told me that, uh, someone wrote. 25, was that it 25 years ago? Hello? <laughs> maybe 20, maybe. 20, okay, yeah. I'm, 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 okay, okay. And someone said that some person there said to a Lubavitcher that, uh, you know, he, this person left a different Hasidic group and joined Lubavitcher, and he said that you, you, you made a mistake because your grandchildren are probably not going to be Jewish. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit of an exaggeration. Um, but, you know, um, you know I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, um, you know the big... You know, we get back to many issues and, uh, uh, you know, the big question is why a person of this man's stature, and I mean uh, Lobavitch Rebbe, did not leave a clear successor to lead the movement. And so the best I can hear if Hasidim is telling me, well, he just did what his uh, father-in-law did. Well, you know, it's not, first of all, it's not, it's not clear that his father-in-law didn't leave a will. Secondly of all, his father-in-law had at least three potential successors uh, waiting, and the Rebbe knew clearly that he had no natural successor. So it would have behooved him to name successor, which he didn't. You know, so, so he left the movement uh, just in, in a state of chaos, and, and one does not need to look further than their websites, and to go to smaller Lubavitcher communities uh, where I live, um, which is not that small either, where you can really get your hands more on the pulse than you can in Crown Heights, uh, to see what's going on. I mean, uh, 
you know, and uh, Obamich now is a movement into power. It's into movements in securing sinecures. Everyone's after a parish, which, of course, the parish is for lifetime uh, appointment, and your children will take over after you. So everything is about money. Everything is about money and power. And, uh, you know, it has nothing to do with spirituality. It's baloney. What spirituality? You know, uh, but they don't even know what spirituality is. I mean, I guarantee you, if I started talking to Lubavitcher about spirituality, he can give me catchphrases from the Tanya, but he doesn't know what spirituality is. He has no idea what spirituality is. You know, he doesn't know what it is. What spirituality? Do you cut it from right to left to left to right? I don't you know, I'm sorry to say this, but, uh, you know, but Lubavitch ha- has power because they control a lot of money. They have the most powerful PR machine in the United States. And they even get people like Rabbi Weinberger and others who, in my opinion, are good, well-meaning people. But they get them to uh, participate in their activities, you know, uh, you know, whatever. You know, maybe Rabbi Weinberger is smarter than I am. Could be. You know, but uh, I have one thing that Ryan Weinberger doesn't have. I know the people. I know these characters. And, uh, you know, and uh, and I've read their literature. My my subscription to Karkobad magazine from 1982 to 1996 was, a, was an education. That in itself is an education. Every week I've read it. Every week from cover to cover. It educated to me on how these people think and how much sugar they are. You know, uh, and and how um, what's the right word? Uh, it's not even sugar. How uh, their their religion is pragmatism. Their religion is pragmatism. That's why they get along with Americans because the religion of America is pragmatism, and their religion is also pragmatism. You know, it's it's a pragmatic religion. You know, the Rebbe was the ultimate pragmatist. You know, um, he wasn't ready to take a stand on anything and say. You know, uh, this is the way it has to be done. No, you know, it's like you said before, you know, this, you know, me, uh, um the, the bigwigs in American Jewry, the non-religious people were threatening um, uh, a financial boycott of Lubavitch. Oh, forget about me, Yehudi. You know, it, you know, it's, I don't know why I'm talking because no one's hey. interested. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> So this this really conversation went went on the tangent from Zalman, but I think we 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 said a couple of interesting and pointing things. So why well, why, don't know, we, I, why don't we stop here? Okay. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. You know, yeah, uh, good Shabbos, and I I'll talk to you. Good good Be well. And uh, to be continued, as they say. Yes, that's right. Bye-bye. Bye.